The World Cup is done. Daniel Tice, gold medal. Tyrese Halliburton, fourth place. What an awful weekend for Team USA. What a great weekend for Germany. Halliburton and Tice both playing pretty well. We'll break it all down. The takeaways for those two players, what it means for the Pacers, and the latest Pacers news, all on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, the World Cup is done. Tyrese Halburn and Daniel Tice make it through, both playing for podium finishes. Daniel Tice gets it very well. Championship for Germany. Gold medals. They went undefeated throughout the whole tournament. They beat Team USA last Friday. Daniel Tice looked phenomenal, at least phenomenal for his standards. Tyrese Halliburton and Team USA, who had the most expectations, lose twice over the weekend on Friday to Tice and company, and then again to Canada. We'll talk about all of it, what it means for the Pacers, takeaways from the World Cup experience, and then at the end, we'll talk about the latest Pacers news, always something in the sphere of this team, and we're less than a month from training camp, so lots to dive into as usual. Quick little update if you can see or hear this, and it sounds a little different. I moved. I live somewhere else now. I don't really have the studio set up yet. So if you're on YouTube, you get to see this giant Mad Ants blanket I got at one of their last home games ever in a room that has nothing else in it except for that. So we continue. Let's start with Team USA, the definitely more disappointing finish of the two teams that we're going to talk about today. Fourth place for Team USA and all their games, they lost to teams who shot very well, from three, Lithuania famously making their first nine to beat Team USA in the second round of the group stage, Germany, and then again in this game, Canada on Sunday, shooting well to take down the United States. And Canada was the team that beat them to send the United States to fourth, two straight non-podium finishes in the World Cup for Team USA. Miles Turner and Team USA in 2019, and now Tyrese Halliburton with Team USA this time around. Germany, with Daniel Tice, just kicked USA's butt from the jump, right? It was 25-15 early. They were creating good threes. Tice's value as, as a screener, as a roller, as a cutter, even as a shot maker, was everywhere. Halliburton came in. Team USA was already down five, and they did some stuff to come back. Halliburton was doing a little bit of his Halliburton stuff, just not as often, it felt like, as he was in other games. And Germany's physical play was just kind of overwhelming, so much so that in the third quarter, Steve Kerr said, let's try Halliburton with the starters. It kind of worked. They chipped at it. They got it really close. They had chances late in the game. But they couldn't stop them. Team USA could not stop Germany. I want to talk more about the final game, so I'm kind of glossing over this one. But I thought this one was done when it was like a 10-point game late. Halley's in, Halliburton's in late. I said Halley because I'm reading my notes. Um, and USA cut into the lead. They got it down to like one possession. But Germany was just better all night. I mean, they deserved it so much. And the Germany game and the Lithuania game for Team USA felt so similar in that it was a very similar formula. That the, the European team dominates on the glass. They make a bunch of threes at a high clip, and USA just can't play their game. They can't play fast because they can't get rebounds. They can't get stops, so they can't get in transition. And for Halliburton specifically, who was a solid positive in both games, he just can't be himself at a full level when they're playing that way. And then they're down, so they can't play their way because they need to play the ball and avoid turnovers. And so he's just not as effective in that stage. Now, against Canada, even the whole game with USA trailing, they lost this one in overtime. At least this game was so fast-paced, right? There were almost 20 NBA players on both rosters here, that Halberton could run quite a bit, right? He did very well in this game in that way stylistically, but this game was really interesting, right? I just wrapped up watching my rewatch of it. It also started at 4.30 in the morning. 
I think this is one of those games, right? I've covered Tyrese Halliburton for a season and a half now. And he has some games like this where his stat line looks good, right? This will sound low on NBA standards. Remember, this is a shorter game and guys play fewer minutes. Although Halliburton did play almost 31 in this game. He had six points, five rebounds, and seven assists. Seven assists led the team by quite a bit, which is kind of telling of the Team USA experience out in the World Cup. And seven assists was the second most in the game behind Shea, who was just freaking phenomenal. Um, so Halliburton played well statistically, but he didn't shoot well. He went two for eight from the field and two for six from deep. He only had one turnover, and it was a bad turnover, right? So this is a game that stats say he was good, and when Team USA, when he was out there, they dominated. They won his minutes by 10 points. That means in the nine minutes and 11 seconds he was out, they lost by 19. 19 in nine and a half minutes. Not even nine and a half minutes. You get the gist of how important he was, but he would come to the podium after a game like this, and he would say, I, I played bad, right? He would he referenced that turnover, because it was ugly. He referenced some missed shots, even though most of them were open-ish threes, right? He did miss both of his two-point attempts. And just in general, the lack of force, I felt like the team had when him in there. They never had a really big run. They had some good, solid, long, extended stretches, but never a big run. He would not say he played well in this game. He came in when they were down 10 in the first quarter. He came out. It was a close game. He played a ton in the second half. They couldn't contain SJ though. He was a part of that. Like a lot of the stuff he he would have expected of himself. I don't know if he did them, even though statistically, especially when he was out there, Team USA playing well, he was fine. It's a very strange experience for him in this game. But in general, Team USA just struggled in this game. They didn't have Jaron Jackson, who struggled the whole tournament. They didn't have Ingram, and they didn't have Bancaro. I thought that was the big one they were missing was Paolo Bancaro. He's been in a lot of their lineups when Team USA has been able to switch the most. Without him, they couldn't switch as much. They had to play Kessler at center. They had to play Bobby Portis at center. They couldn't switch as much on defense. They gave up 127. A little harder. They had a trap Shea, Gilgis Alexander at times in this game. Halberd did okay at the traps. Steve Kerr had some interesting adjustments at halftime, right? He said they would trap Shea first, let him get one drive off where there's no contact, and then try to hit him hard after that because, you know, he'll, his mindset will change after a no contact drive. And it kind of worked. The third quarter went okay um, for Team USA. At first, Canada goes out to a big lead, and it worked great in the fourth quarter. They tied it up and sent it to overtime. But it, it was just not enough. And so missing some guys, missing too many shots, dooms Team USA. Their defense was awful in the knockout stages. Truly, truly awful. Um, and no podium for Canada. And that's my take on Halliburton in that game. My take on Halliburton for the whole tournament, right? The takeaways are key here. And I actually have a Team USA thought I'm going to sneak in here as well. For Halliburton in general, right, the big thing for me is, you know, he was great, right? One of the best three players probably on Team USA, Anthony Edwards, certainly in that mix. Mikael Bridges, certainly in that mix. Jalen Brunson played pretty well. Uh, Austin Reeves played very well. He might be in the top three as well. But that, you know, certainly in that top three to five range, right? He was great. And he the thing that made this more impressive than, not more impressive than what he does with the Pacers, the thing that made this impressive to me as someone who covers him is he did it in varied roles, right? A lot of the games... When he had the ball in his hand, that he could push and he could beat Tyrese Halliburton. He looked great. That's what he's done his whole career. That's what I wrote about, right? He's showing the world what he's shown the Pacers for forever. He can be this transition beast that forces defenses to panic all the time, even with stars, right? That matters, right? Knowing that as the Pacers is like, if we get another really good player, they're going to immediately plug in next to Halliburton and not take away from him at all. That's great. But he also showed some off-ball stuff. He played with other guards who handle it and didn't look out of place. And obviously, when you can shoot, that helps. But when you're smart and you know how to space and you understand timing, you can play with Jalen Brunson. You can play with Austin Reeves. You can play with Anthony Edwards. And it's not wrong. It works out just fine. And that should also, I think, be an encouraging thing for the Pacers if they ever get a high-volume guy 
who's a star or if Matherin really develops, right? This kind of made me believe more in what that fit could be if both guys hit their ceiling. Obviously, that's a huge if. Just in general, I think that's a big takeaway for me from the way Halliburton played, that his style is still nice with stars, right? Uh, and he can do some stuff, not with the ball, some thanks to his shooting and decision-making. That was a big one for me. His defense, I think a lot of people kept tweeting about it during the tournament. I think it took a step forward, certainly. His screen navigation was still pretty bad, right? He still had some rough moments off the ball defensively. Not as many. He's better off the ball than on the ball. But in general, I think his defense took a step forward, even though there's a clear one thing that he needs to work the most on, and I think that's going to be crucial once the season gets going. So overall, I think a good tournament for Halliburton. I don't have his stats right in front of me. I can scroll up and get them um, while I'm talking. But I think, of course, Team USA is going to be bound fourth place after seventh in the last World Cup. is just not. That is just very much not a Team USA uh, finish. And that's their third, like people call it the C team. That's probably about right. Uh, Halliburton's averages for the tournament, 8.6 points per game and 5.6 assists, right? Okay. So some other teams didn't have their best rosters like team USA didn't. And Spain didn't have Ricky Rubio and some other guys And Serbia who just made the finals. Didn't have Nikola Jokic or Micic who's playing for the thunder this year, right? Latvia didn't have Kristaps Porzingis. They made the top eight. Canada didn't have a bunch of guys. Wiggins didn't play. I'm missing, oh, Jamal Murray didn't play, right? So that's that's like, I get that. Team USA's best team is the best team, duh. But a lot of other teams are also without key guys, right? That argument falls a little short for me. Look, the Olympic team in 2021, USA won the gold. They were the best team. But they did lose a game in the tournament before the knockout stage, right? USA's not infallible on the national stage anymore in the way that they used to be because these other nations are getting better, right? We've had a bunch of international MVPs in a row in the NBA. But the biggest thing to me, about Team USA in basketball, I was tweeting about this with somebody after they lost on Sunday, is chemistry. All these other national teams, right? Let's, let's, we'll talk about Germany in a second, but I'll bring them up right now. I watched last summer when I was trying to get to know Daniel Tice's game a little better because the Pacers had just traded for him. I watched Germany in Eurobasket, and they got third. They got the bronze. They looked good. And then that almost the exact same team that got that bronze medal in Eurobasket was the same roster that played this summer in the World Cup, right? Similar team. All these international teams have almost exactly the same roster, event to event to event to event. And so they they have chemistry, even though they don't play together year-round or on a club stage. Even Canada, who doesn't quite have that, they they don't require, but they request, right? When Nick Nurse was the coach, he had these three-year commitments. O'Shea Brissett, notably when he was with the Pacers, was a part of that, of guys that they would have starting in the summer of 2022, that would play um, for Canada in three straight summers. Training camp at 22, training camp in the World Cup in 23, training camp in the Olympics in 24, right? They had a big group of commitments. It was more guys than that would actually be on the roster, but that way they had a pool to pick from, right? And so they, they even are trying to build that way. Team USA does not have that. They didn't even have tryouts this year like they have sometimes in the past. And they had tryouts for the Olympics last time. I bet they do sort of again, although most of the guys are pretty known. But I think that's a big part of it is when they send different teams all the time, as the talent gap shrinks, the chemistry difference can make up for the, the remaining talent gap. And I think you saw that in this tournament is that USA was a little more inconsistent, especially defensively, whereas some of these teams, especially Germany, but also Serbia, who made the finals, and Canada and Lithuania and Latvia, their role players are just phenomenal around the stars because they've all played together and they all get it. I digress. I just wanted to talk about Team USA getting fourth. People are clowning them for that finish, and then they probably should. They Team USA should have been expected to win, but I don't think the talent gap is as big as people are making it out to be, even though it's all 
NBA stars because of what I just explained. Even though, yes, Team USA should have won the tournament and they deserve a lot of criticism for the way they played, especially on defense down the stretch. You know played a lot better? Germany and Daniel Tice, gold medal. Very unexpected. Some people had them barely in the top 10 of the power rankings before the tournament started. I thought that was dumb. You probably heard that on this podcast, but I didn't think they would win, certainly. And they did a gold medal for Tice, who showed more good stuff. And I want to talk about what that means for the Pacers. And I'm seeing people get a little ahead of themselves with what this means for the Pacers. I will explain why in the second segment today. But before we get to that, though, I need to talk to you guys about Ibotta, picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer barbecue. You already know you're doing it. So why not get cash back while you do that with Ibotta? They give you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and you can get cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns 120 bucks per year. That could save you the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you can use that cash to buy a flight you've been eyeing or a game you've been dying to go to, a fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much with Ibotta. You get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back from hundreds of online brands and retailers when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying it. Sign up on Ibotta. Use the code LOCKED when you register. Five bucks. Sweet. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store. Download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play Store and the App Store and use that code LOCKED. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, how about some cheating? Locked on Colts. Maybe you're not interested in football, in which case... I'll go to Locked On Rockets because they just re-signed Boban Marjanovic and his Serbian team just won the World Cup. But if you are an Indiana sports fan, Locked On Colts also exists. Colts debuted on Sunday. Anthony Richardson throwing touchdown, passing touchdown, or that's the same thing. Throwing touchdown, rushing touchdown, and an injury in a sort of close loss. Uh, Zach and Jake will have the latest for you over at Locked On Colts and on Anthony Richardson's debut and, of course, the rest of the Colts as the season progresses. Let's continue here talking about Daniel Tice. Gold medal. Last summer, we talked about his bronze medal with Germany and Eurobasket this year. It's gold on the world stage instead of the Europe stage. And Tice played a big part of it, right? They beat Serbia in the finals. The Serbian team, Bogdan Bogdanovic, a couple other NBAers, a bunch of former NBAers. Good team. Tice was not needed in ways he was in the past in this tournament, in this game. You can just look at his game log throughout uh, the event and figure that out. I'll pull that up while I'm talking. He had two points. That was his lowest of the tournament, right? Every other game, he had eight or more. He was not needed as much like he was in other games. He was used as a screener and a cutter way more and as a play finisher way less. I thought that was super interesting, and I'm getting way ahead of myself. The game flow is important talking about it. He scored his basket really early. He caught it from three. They closed out hard to Daniel Tice, which was interesting. He shot fake to dribble between two defenders and hit a floater. It was great. He had some nice passes early in the game, but he didn't have as many touches. He was just a screening, cutting, role-playing big, and that is a big takeaway from this tournament about Tice is he filled a lot of roles and he filled them well. He played the four starting next to Johannes Voigtman, who I've talked about way too many times on Lockdown Pacers because I think he's good. Um, but he started next to Voigtman a lot. Voigtman played the five. Sometimes Tice would play the five. It wasn't a lot, but he did. And I thought that was noteworthy that he toggled between those roles. Sometimes he would pick and pop and he could hit the three in this tournament. In fact, he well, he took threes in this tournament, I guess, is more accurate. He ended up shooting one for 10, but taking more than one a game. Uh, you could sell him, get it up. I should not have said made. Uh, he took them with confidence. Guys would close out hard to him. He shot 60% despite shooting awful 
on those threes. But he also rolled to the basket a lot, got into floater range, made some elbow jumpers, made some nice passes, two assists per game throughout the tournament, right? He just did a lot of interesting stuff. And so as Germany fought in this game, right, it was tied at halftime, 47 all. Uh, even with Tice not getting all these touches like he had in some other games, he had 21 against Team USA last Friday. People were talking and joking on Twitter. The best Pacers player in that game was not Tyrese Halbert. It was Daniel Tice. I don't know if I agree with that, but Tice had 21 and seven. He was so good. He hit, he hit a three in that game. He also was nine for 13 from the field and was a plus four in a two-point win, right? He was awesome. He was phenomenal. And that was kind of what he was all tournament, not to that extent, but just like that play style meriting that level of defense until the literal last game. And in the second half, Germany was so good at the start of the half. They were up 10 at times in the third quarter, even with Serbia pushing hard late and getting it down to three. Marco Guterich, if you remember him, he played for the Memphis Grizzlies for a second, had an open three to tie it in the last minute. These games are so awesome. I love talking about them. He missed it. Germany wins 83-77. They get the gold. Dennis Schroeder was amazing. Tice was very good the whole tournament. He averaged 11, 5.5, and, and 2 on uh, 59.4, 10, 60 shooting splits, right? Low stats in the final game. In general, good stats throughout the tournament. A bruising big man, a rebounding big man, a good screener. Sounds like a lot of stuff the Pacers need. First of all, congratulations to Daniel Tice. This is a massive accomplishment, one of the biggest of any basketball player's career to win a gold medal like this. You could see them going nuts celebrating. He played well throughout the tournament. It's phenomenal. Him and Dennis Schroeder and everyone on that team, who I've watched a lot of since, ironically, Tice ended up with the Pacers last summer. Congrats to him. They deserved it. They kicked Team USA's butt. They shot phenomenally. They played very well against Team USA in the exhibition before. There wasn't any fluking in that game to me. And then they beat Serbia because they were just better. And also, they qualified for the Olympics. So they'll join Halliburton in Paris, well, if Halliburton's on Team USA. They'll join Team USA in Paris next summer. So I want to talk about Daniel Tice and what this means for the Pacers because people have been tweeting at me, of course, or asking me questions or even a text or someone I saw at the Fever game on Sunday. Tice playing pretty good. Does this mean he'll be the backup center for the Pacers now that he's playing this well? Could he be? And I have said during this tournament, yeah, he's the second best center on the Pacers. I think I even said that a few times during last season, right? And so people are saying to me, hey, you see, you know, as this tournament goes, should Tice be the Pacers' backup center? And I say, yeah, probably not. And it's not because of what he's doing, right? In fact, here's what I would say. He played this well last summer in Eurobasket. He was this good when he was on the Celtics and even the Bulls and the Rockets, right? Then Tice has kind of always been this good. The difference now for the Pacers is not that Tice looks good in the World Cup. The difference for the Pacers in considering Tice playing is that their goals have changed. They would like to win more. They would like to make the playoffs, plan, whatever their spoken goals will be. And he's healthier. Daniel Tice is healthier. That was not a thing that they had last year, right? They didn't want. They didn't care as much about winning last year, and Tice wasn't even an option, right? He came in after a crazy summer. He was with the Celtics. They went to the finals. So he's playing basketball up until late June. Then he has this very short amount of time off before prepping for both World Cup qualifiers and Eurobasket. So he played all summer, and then he had that knee thing, and then he had surgery, and he wasn't even healthy till February, right? So even if he was the right option for the Pacers as backup center last year, he wasn't healthy. You could see when he played, he had a minute's restriction. He couldn't run fast. He didn't fit very well. So the difference for me with Tice now and considering him as potentially the Pacers' backup big man would not be that he played well in this tournament and looks good. It's that he's healthy and the team has different goals. Now they're interested in winning more than they were last year. 
So if anyone is thinking about that, I would lodge those thoughts into your head. The third thing I would add, though, is I still don't think Tice will be the backup center. And it has nothing to do with anything I just said, right? It has everything to do with fit. This Germany team was great. They played really slow. <laughs> they, they, they took it up the court, and they kind of tried it up, and Dennis Schroeder would run his pick-and-roll stuff or try to create his own shot. And They moved the ball well, and they're sharp passers, and they're smart role players, but they were a slow-paced team. Tice joked about the speed of the team before his return from injury. He's like, you know, I'm going to have to come out after five minutes. I'm going to be gassed, right? The Pacers play fast. That is not what Tice is best at. He is good. He can fit with what they do. Just not, it's not his best interest for that. And it's not the Pacers' long-term interest to have a center who's not his best at that and one who's not on their timeline, right? So, So there's a lot going on here. If the Pacers decide to make Tice their backup center, I would get it. He's good. He can screen like crazy. He can rebound. He does a lot of stuff they need. But he also doesn't fit their style necessarily well. And it's definitely not the, their long-term answer at center. So they have to decide what makes the most sense here. To me, the pace misfit is going to lead to them choosing one of the young bigs. I think that makes the most sense, especially because long-term, you'd like to know if either of them can be your backup five. I think that is more important than what he did in Euro, or than in the World Cup. But there's also the factor of him finally being healthy. And I think that is being drastically overlooked in these conversations about... Could he be the backup five? Oh, you know, he was always this good. He just wasn't healthy when the season started with the Pacers last year. Now he is, or should be at least. And so we'll see what that actually means. I'll have a little more write-ups on all this stuff on Pacers SI. But two more takeaways for Tice really quick. One, his defensive closeouts still aren't great. He kind of labors running out there. And I only wrote that down to say he's definitely just a five defensively, especially in the NBA. But on a faster-paced team, I think about all that kind of stuff. I don't think he can play the four for the Pacers like he does for Germany. Um, but... He's clearly center two for talent-wise for the Pacers. Does all that fit matter? How does the timeline stuff work out? We'll see what that means for Tice going forward. The biggest takeaway for the Pacers about both players, neither of them got hurt. <laughs> A key thing for the Pacers franchise. We saw Paul George and his leg injury happen almost 10 years ago now uh, for Team USA in international play. No injuries, at least knock on wood as of right now, for Halliburton and Tice ready for the season in less than a month. Speaking of that, let's get to some news about the Pacers who have games coming up. In fact, a month from now, we'll be talking about the preseason. So let's talk about the latest Pacers news and pivot out of FIBA coverage. I love the World Cup games. They were so much fun to cover. But that's it for all of them. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing about some Pacers playing international hoops, including Buddy Heald earlier in the month of August. But let's finish up with the latest Pacers news, including the Mad Ant schedule, some ESPN predictions, Halliburton's Olympic hopes, and more. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Christian Wood is a Los Angeles Laker. Check out Lockdown Lakers for more on that he was a hot name in the market apparently at this stage of the summer let's get to some pacers news last week since we last talked about pacers news one being tyrese halburn said to olympics the olympics <laughs> the olympic website that he wants to play in the olympics at some point in his career in fact he said quote my dream would be to play three olympics wow that's tough if he plays one next summer he'll be 24 right that means his third olympics would be and he's 32 that's basically the only way to get to three. 28, 32, 36 is a very rare Olympic path. Not impossible, but rare. So 
He's got to hope that he can make the, the squad next year in Paris, and I do think he has a chance. He played well for the team in the World Cup. He fits well in Steve Kerr's style. That team might not have a ton of point guards. We'll see. I think Halberton does have a shot, but he did say he would like to play in the Olympics. His goal is three. Some of his earliest basketball memories were the Redeem team in 2008, and of course, being such a basketball junkie, I'm sure he remembers everything about that. But he said he wants to play in the Olympics. He wants to get a gold medal with that squad and I think that is noteworthy and of course if he does play we'll cover it here on Locked on Pacers that's a year from now (laughs) next summer out in the Olympics now it's officially the end of the FIBA coverage stuff that I want to talk about uh the Madden's let's do some G League stuff first of all short one David Stockton played for the Madden's last year was with the Pacers for training camp for a day he's joined the G League Ignite the G League Ignite are currently playing in the fall showcase but that means David Stockton will not be back in the Pacers organization winner there any point guard like Darius McGee for example who's with the Pacers for camp and then has to go to the Madden's potentially some minutes opening up with that team and speaking of the Madden's their schedule's out which is a little more noteworthy this year than in past seasons because uh because sorry I clicked on the wrong tab they are playing in Cambridge Fieldhouse, right? They're playing in the same arena as the Pacers this year. If you remember, they're moving from Fort Wayne to Noblesville, but their arena's not done yet in Noblesville. They need a place to play, so they're playing in Cambridge all season. That synergy is going to be huge. They can send guys down. They can call up the two-way guys. They can have all their own people in the building to watch their two-way guys. Their resources are better, right? Gabe York talked about it a lot last year. Being able to use the Pacers facilities was clutch for him and the team. I think that will be the case again this year, but now that's true for every single game. Madden season opens up November 11th in Sioux falls their first home games two days later against the windy city bulls 14 showcase games their actual uh regular season starts december 27th at home against the memphis hustle i know that's confusing but they're two kind of different seasons uh there they play in at the ignite so you won't be able to see the g league ignite in indiana who have already tipped off their season but you will get to see the man so the cool thing here one they'll play every home game the madden's play that isn't a matinee will be at 6 p.m so easy to remember but two this is cool Six double headers, six times a season. The Madden's will play in the morning. There'll be a tiny gap after their game, and then the Pacers will play at night, both in Cambridge. That's pretty sweet. Those will be long days for me personally, <laughs> but I can't wait because it's an opportunity to see these G League guys up close. That's how I first learned who Gabe York and Terry Taylor and a bunch of guys were and how good they could be, and they've all made it up to the Pacers. So looking forward to seeing if anyone who that is this year that could kind of shake things up and maybe move up into the mix. If you want the full Madden schedule, it's on the G League website, and I have some of it on the Pacers SI page. Let's go over to NBA 2K, which came out last Friday. Their ratings are out. Tyrese Halbert and Miles Turner, the only top 100 players in the NBA on the Pacers, according to NBA 2K. They have five players rated 80 or higher, Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin, Miles Turner, and Tyrese Halbert. And if you're interested in that, all the ratings are on Pacers SI. I thought Halbert's rating would be higher. I thought Bruce Brown's rating would be higher. I thought Buddy Heald's rating would be higher. And I thought Toppin and McConnell's rating would be lower. So interesting stuff. If you have quibbles with that, take it up with the men over at 2K. Ronnie 2K specifically, I believe is his name. Let's close up talking about some ESPN predictions for this season. Just to kind of set the scene for what the national media narrative or talking points appear to be about the Pacers this year. ESPN did their summer forecast series. Uh, In the Eastern Conference playoffs, they predicted the Pacers would go uh, 38-44 and this season. So three wins better than last year. That is ninth in the East. So they'd be playing, according to ESPN, Orlando in the first play-in tournament game with a chance, if they win that, to make the playoffs via the second play-in tournament game. So three wins added 
by getting Bruce Brown, by their young guys getting better, uh, and by getting Obi Toppin is ESPN's prediction. Of course, the rest of the East also got better, so it's not that easy, but I'll be fascinated to see if they're right or if they're wrong. That's about where a lot of the betting lines are, too. So it seems like a lot of prevailing knowledge outside of people who cover the Pacers. Not the prevailing, I guess, but a lot of voices are saying high 30s. I think a lot of people I've heard recently are closer to saying low to mid 40s. We'll see where it ends up. I think 38 is my to myself. I think 38 is too low. Speaking of ESPN Summer Forecast Series, they also predicted the Pacers would have numerous sixth man of the year candidates. I rolled my eyes at that because that's impossible. You can only have one sixth man by default. The second guy off your bench is your seventh man. Either way, um, ESPN predicted the potential award winners for all the awards. If you want to hear my picks, go back to last Friday's podcast. But in ESPN's outlook, they predicted Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown and Ben Matherin all in the potential top 10 of the odds for sixth man of the year this coming season. Toppin tying for eighth and getting a few first place vote nominees, which I think Obi Toppin's going to start. That is just a guess, to be clear. But if he does, he can't be sixth man. They also had both Buddy Heald and Ben Matherin among their answers, which, again, I don't think, or excuse me, not Buddy Hill, Bruce Brown and Ben Matherin above their guys. I'd be stunned if both of them came off the bench. We'll see where this ends up happening, but I think there's a chance two of ESPN's answers here aren't even possible, and the third one would be their sixth man in that case because you can't have two sixth men, air quotes, by default. You can read more about what ESPN predicts of the Pacers via their summer forecast series. We have a few more news items we could get to, but we'll save them for next time. We'll need a couple more. As the offseason progresses, top 100 lists, Pacers, players, and execs doing podcasts. There's plenty more to talk about, and we'll continue to do it here on Locked on Pacers. This week, player season preview starting. We're back to five days a week. Really, we're back to every day starting after Labor Day last week. Uh, back to five days a week. So player season previews coming back with Caitlin Cooper. Really excited. We're going to kind of blend our end-of-the-season player talk with leading into this season stuff. We've got some cool ways to segment the show. Going to do the five biggest storylines about the Pacers. Uh, earlier this week with Dustin Dopierak from the Indy Star and some other fun, newsy Pacers topics as we progress. The World Cup's done. No more of that. We'll find a new way to fill our weekly fix of Pacers news and basketball analysis. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you had a great weekend. Mine was super busy, as you can see, or maybe here, depending on how echoey this room is. But looking forward to building up this setup. Thank you all for listening. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you tomorrow.